kind of nice, man, just to be able to start off by uh, kind of an invitation, in a sense, to worship and just to come to Him. And that's what our desire is every Sunday morning that we gather here at K2, is uh, we really do believe that we have a chance every time we're here, uh, as we say this all the time, not just to hear about God, but to actually hear from Him to actually engage with him. And uh, so when you think about uh, Christmas time, the, the come and worship him, nobody had a clue, right, that Christ was coming. Nobody had a clue, so the angels actually had to come. And they're the ones who said, hey, come. You guys got to come and worship him. And so the shepherds, you know, they came to the important people, the shepherds, and they called them to come and worship him. And uh, anybody have angels tell you to get up and go to church today? Yes. Okay, is that how that works? You know, it obviously doesn't work like that anymore for us. And the only way it works for us these, these days is literally the come. Um, I mean, you can have a, you could, you know, your neighbor could say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? But the real draw uh, to Christ, the draw to come and actually get to a point where you worship him, what's cool about that is it comes from God. And um, it's actually something that happens in, inside you. It's like an inner wooing that'll, that'll just move you um, to say, hey, come on. Come to me, Jesus, and, and, and if you're weary or heavy burden, let me give you rest. Come. And, you, and what's wild is, if you've ever been on that journey, it's, it's pretty amazing to, to feel this woo. And, um, but the invitation will come from God. But what's interesting, this is what we're going to talk about today, is when he says come, then we have the option to go or not. We have the option to actually seek after him or not. And that's what I want to look at today with you is uh, another story. Um, we're actually going to look at the wise men today uh, in the Bible and this whole idea of what it means to seek um, after God. And to, because he says, if you seek after me with all your heart, you're going to find me. And if you find him, like how cool it must have been for them to eventually, after a really long journey, which we'll show, to come into his presence. And um, so that's what we're going to look at today. So before we jump in, I just want to pray and uh, pray for our time together and pray for you and give you a chance as well while I pray just to kind of go, okay, you had a chance to sing it. Now just open up your heart and say, Lord, man, if you want to woo me to yourself today, here I am. Have your way. Let's pray. God, thank you. Um, Man, I love this season because this is the one time we can stop and remember um, that you love the world. You love the world so much that you want to send Jesus to come into this world, not to condemn it, but to save it. And Lord, to know that that means us, that means every person in this room here this morning mattering to you, every one of us. And God, I just, I'm going to ask on our behalf, because I know you're present here with us, but in light of your perfect knowledge of every heart in this room and wherever we're at on our spiritual journey, however we're seeking or not seeking, after you. I just want to pray that today that you might woo us. That we might hear a voice kind of deep within our soul and our heart saying, man, come. Come to me. And help us to know where our hearts are at today and how we can take new steps to the point where we could actually be on a journey to experiencing you. Not just hearing about you, but experiencing you, seeing you, actually having you in our life on a daily basis. So we just pray for your blessing today, that you'd have your way, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys, so our little uh, theme uh, this uh, month uh, during December is this whole idea of being all in. You know, I'm going to be all in for Christmas, kind of being all in in our pursuit of God. 
And uh, how many of you as a kid were all in during Christmas? Anybody else all in for Christmas? Isn't it nuts, man? I mean, it is just so absolutely crazy. Uh, we get to celebrate a couple times this year because uh, yesterday was my daughter Ashlyn's birthday and she's my second daughter and she turned eight and it was so cool yesterday how much she loved this day. And so Susan and I are dead asleep and all of a sudden, man, we hear the feet and she comes plopping in right between us and she's just, bam, she's, she's just got this smile on her face, you know, and she puts the blankets on and snuggles all up and Susie goes, oh, Ashlyn, happy birthday. And you could just see her just go, I know. This is going to be awesome. And then right on the heels of that, Mariah, our oldest daughter, comes flying in. She just leans over. She goes, Ashlyn, happy birthday. I'm so excited for this day. Okay, let's open the presents. I mean, that was it. So let's go. Let's get it. And, let's just, and we just had this full day of all in. And I just know for me as a kid, man, I just couldn't wait. Christmas, man, I was all in and I just loved it so much. And one of my favorite memories of this was um, my dad uh, did this really cool thing, I think just a couple times. And that is where we'd opened all of these presents and stuff, and they were like, okay, you know how you get the okay presents, right? Do you guys do that? You save the good one for last? Anybody else like that? So, you know, you're opening, you know, your pajamas, yeah, thanks, you know, and some socks and a, a toy you didn't ask for. And, and then the last one comes and it's this envelope and on it is a clue. And so it's a, this really cool, he was really creative and he put this clue on this deal and we had to go follow that clue and we find it to get to that place and then there's another clue. And then you have to go over here and you get to the, and he would put like five or six clues together and we lived on seven acres, okay? And my dad, he would have us chomping through the woods back over the fields and going, I mean, he had us going all over the place. But man, you talk about seeking, you know? I mean, because we know this is the gift that we're all looking for and then you finally find it. I just, that was such a great memory. Yeah, just seeking after stuff. And then when you grow up, it kind of shifts a little bit, hopefully, and that is, then you start to move into the seeking mode of trying to find the right gift, right? And like all of a sudden you're growing up and you go, man, I, you love people, you love your kids, you love your spouse, you love your, whoever it is. And you just go, man, I'm going to find the perfect gift. So man, you drive here into that store in the malls and you just constantly are seeking to make Christmas great. And then for me now as a dad, I'm seeking another thing for Christmas. And that is, I'm, I don't know if I'm nostalgic, but I want to seek to make some memories. Anybody else? Anybody, I just, I just, I want to, I have such great memories as a kid that I want to now seek to make Christmas great. So we've got all these cool little traditions that we do. You know, we set up the tree the day after the kids get a, they have a fake one they put in the back and they get to do the, whatever they want to it. And then Susie and I get to get a real one and make it look pretty. And, uh, you know, so we, they're happy, we're happy, it's all great. You know, and then Christmas cookies, decorating them with all the frosting and doing all that kind of stuff was just, we have all these different things that we do because we want to create a good Christmas. Now, you know what's wild? Like this year, uh, I think we got our tree like last week. And now all of you are sitting here and Christmas is like five days. Can you believe it's five days away? I mean, has it just like flown by for you too? I mean, you're just sitting there going, this is just crazy. And what's wild is you have this temptation now in these days to totally miss Christmas. I mean, you're, you're going to wake up in the morning and do your deal, but Christmas should be like a month long experience, right? And because it gets busy, because we get distracted, you can totally miss it. And obviously, we're here in church, the spiritual side of Christmas can get totally missed. Do you guys you ever, you realize that? You ever get through the whole Christmas thing and just go, 
Dude, oh yeah, you know, uh, yeah, Jesus was born up here. Yeah, <laughs> that's what this was actually about, wasn't it? Yeah, well, let's say a prayer. Okay, yeah, thanks God. And um, so Susie, she's awesome because uh, to help us not forget what this is all about, she, does, she wants us to do Advent every year. You guys do Advent? You guys know what that is? Uh, you have this little ring and it has four candles on it. And uh, every Sunday you light a new candle and it has a different meaning and it kind of just leads you up into the expectation of Christ coming. And so... Uh, of course, this year we haven't done Advent at all, so we're going to start tonight, and we're going to do it tonight and tomorrow night and Tuesday and Wednesday, and then somehow we'll get, you know, because Jesus matters this week. All right, so that's how we're doing this. It's just, it's crazy how we can miss it, and we can totally do that. So today, what I want to talk to you guys about is that in the story about these wise men coming in, there's, um, there's three different hearts that we're going to look at, uh, three different kind of groups or people that are in this story. And they all seek, but they seek differently. And because they seek things differently, and because they have different hearts, the experience they have is completely different. And just a side note here, if you read the Bible sometimes and you just go, man, I don't know how to make this relevant to my life. And I, you know, I just read it. It's just information. It doesn't mean that much to me. One, there's lots of things you can do. But one of the things that you can do is when you read a story, try to put yourself in that story. Okay. You know, just say, it's hard, but try to get yourself in there. Or the same thing is, the other thing to ask yourself is, how am I like the person in that story? How am I like the person in that story? Okay, so I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them up to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to read this through. And I want you just to start thinking about who might you be in this this story. And then uh, we'll go from there. The visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Okay, uh, first I need to just uh, blow away a lot of your Christmas uh, traditions here for a second. Did you guys know that, uh, you know all the nativity scenes with the little baby and all the wise men are sitting over there and looking at him, right? Did you guys know that none of that actually happened? I don't know if you knew that or not. Did you know that the wise men actually showed up about two years after Jesus was born? So I hate, to, I hate to kill your nativity scene, you know. But if you want to put him in shorts and a t-shirt or something, Jesus, you know, like a little toddler, it might work a little better. Because you know, he, he wasn't actually born as a, uh, he, he was born. It wasn't when he was born as a baby that the wise men came. He came two years later, all right? And then it says this, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Um, so now let's talk about, a little bit about these guys, all right? Going to ruin a few more things for you. The song we sang, we three kings of Orient are, um, they weren't kings, okay? So, uh, yeah, I know it was a lie, but it's a cool Christmas song, so we did it. Um, but anyway, uh, we three kings, they weren't really kings. They were, magi is the word we got magician from, actually. And so, what they were, is they were spiritual leaders and authorities within their countries of origin. So they would come into the courts of the religious, of, of, the, of the leaders of the city, and they were the ones who would consult and help them to understand the deeper things of life. So they used astrology, and it's a science, and they brought that component to it. They had a lot of wisdom, okay, that they would bring into things, and using that for diplomacy. And then they would bring in religious and magical incantations. So they brought a spiritual component to it. That's who the magi were. They were kind of the spiritual 
you know, uh, leaders or the people who would come alongside. You know, most of our presidents have those. You know, they'll have spiritual guides who will come along and help them to understand things. So that's who they were. So we need to understand that. The other thing that we need to understand is uh, we have no idea how many they were. So you know how we say three. Uh, the reason we say three is because the Western tradition, there's just a tradition that said, well, there was three gifts, so I guess there were three kings. Okay? So we have no idea. The Eastern tradition actually says there were 12. Um, but the reality is, you guys, we don't, have, we don't know, how many of, know how many of them there were. But I always had this picture, too. Did you guys have this picture? Like the wise men come into Jerusalem, you know, they're sitting on their camel, you know, and they're kind of coming into the place, you know, and just kind of looking around, and everything's busy and stuff, and they go to the king and kind of sneak into the city. Well, that's not how it would have been either. Since they were representatives of the king, of the authorities of their countries, I mean, this would have been like a huge political convoy just coming into town. They would have had guards at their rear and at their front and on their sides, and they would have had attendants all around them so that when they came into Jerusalem, everybody knew it. Okay, this is, so that's, that's really different, and that's kind of important as we look at what happens here in this story. Now, the last thing let me just share with you, uh, just because some of us are kind of curious about this stuff, is when I read this, I just, too, I'm like, well, how, how would they know if they lived over way over in the east, and I think probably one of the guesses is over in Babylon, how would they know even to come that a king of Jews was going to be born and even pursue that? And if you know, understand Israelite uh, Jewish history at all, you know that at one point um, they were so wicked and in, in their worship they were so committed to other idols and um, uh, God would send prophets over and over again and say, come on, you guys, come back to me. Um, quit doing what you're doing. And they wouldn't listen. Years and years and years worth of that. So God finally said, you know what? I'm going to send you in exile. He goes, the only way I'm going to get your heart back is if I actually send you away and cause you to live in slavery in another country. Then you're going to see how bad that is, and then you're going to want to come back to me. So he sends them into exile over in Babylon, and then when the exile was over, many of them came back into Israel, but a lot of the Jews stayed there. And there's actually historical evidence that shows that the political leaders and the religious leaders of that day in, the, in Babylon, they knew of the Jewish faith, and they knew of the Jewish practices, and they knew of the Jewish scriptures. And so they would have heard all these prophecies about this Messiah and about this king that was supposed to come. In fact, they, they actually found that there really were significant Jewish centers of learning in the East at that time. So there, if that's interest you, that's probably why these guys knew that they could come over and find the king of the Jews. All right? Uh, well, actually, one last one. Suetonius is a, I don't know if he's, how they say that, but he was a Roman historian during the time. This is really interesting to me. I've never seen this before. Yeah, this is his quote. Throughout the whole of the East, there had spread an old and persistent belief that destiny had decreed that at, at that time, men coming forth from Judea would seize power and rule the world. Isn't that interesting? That's just a Roman historian saying during that time, there was this whole rumor, there was this belief held within the East that a power was going to rise up from Judea and actually rule the whole world. So, so whatever they got, they put all this together and they said, you know what, we think a king's going to be born and uh, now I'll read the rest of the story. All right, here we go. When King Herod heard this in verse 3, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Oh, I, actually, I, I didn't read verse 2. Let me read verse 2. The Magi came from east to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ or Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, quote, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary. See, there's the other evidence that it was two years later. Because where was, do you remember where Jesus was born? Anybody know? He's sitting in a little stable, right? He's out in a barn. There was no room for him anywhere. So he had to be born outside. And here they come in and they're meeting him at his house. Okay? Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All right, there's our story. Okay, now let's look at the three different hearts that are in here. And again, just try to to put yourself in each one of these people's shoes, okay? And how they sought after God. The first one is the seeking of Herod. So look at Herod for a second and see if we can understand some things about him. And as we do, to see how our heart might be like Herod's. Because he was definitely seeking after Jesus, okay? But in a very interesting way, all right? Now, um, Herod was a ruler. He was a Roman ruler over the Israelite, over the Jewish people in his land that, that he ruled over. All the Jews lived there. Do you have any idea what his nickname might have been? Anybody? The king of the Jews. See, they called Herod the king of the Jews. That was his title. So now think about this. Uh, and I don't know if you guys, if, you, if you've read Roman history during this period, it is unbelievable, Okay. These guys, well, not everybody, of course, but Herod was incredibly, he was just an egomaniac. Everything was about him, and he was very fearful to lose anything that was rightfully his, okay? So he was the king of the Jews. Now imagine, you're sitting there, this is your kingdom, you're kind of weird, you're freaking out about your rulership, and these guys from the east come in, and they say, hey, could you tell us where the king of the Jews was born? See, when he heard that, he's like, wait a second here. I'm the king of the Jews. There's another king of the Jews? And so then he's like, oh, great. Well, why don't you tell me uh, where he's going to born so, so I can go uh, worship him? See, he really had no interest at all. In fact, what did the verse say? It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was disturbed. You know why he's disturbed? Because he's like, hey, this is my life. This is my kingdom. This is my world. And I don't want anything coming in here to take this away from me. See, in what you find out later in chapter 2, verse 16, it says this. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and the vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. May I tell you, I, um, I read this uh, passage probably about three or four months ago. I was just reading through Matthew just for my own personal time with God, and and um, I've read this a, a ton of times in that time. I don't know if it's because I have a little boy now or what. See, because we just, we just slip by this stuff. And again, you, you realize what the culture was like during that day. There were many rulers in the Roman Empire who had absolutely no concern or value for life. Did you, see, did you hear what I just read? He commanded that all the boys in a city, two years old and on, younger, to be killed. 
I, it was weird. I sat there and the, the, the emotion hit me and the tears just hit me of how ludicrous this time was during this period. And, and side note, so here comes Jesus, right? And he comes in with this new kingdom. He goes, hey, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. He goes, if you want to be, he goes, you do not lord it over him because you know that the rulers lord it over their people, not so with you. He goes, if you want to be great, then what do you be? The servant of all. See, he was flipping everything upside down. And so here's Herod. And he's going, you know what? This makes me nervous because I kind of like my life and I like how it's going and I don't want anybody messing with it. So here's a question. Anybody ever have a heart like Herod's? Do you ever have a heart like that? You ever have one that said, let me just ask you this. When you felt this wooing from God and you felt drawn to him, and if you're a follower of Christ, you know at one point you felt this wooing inside of you to come to God. And maybe some of you who are seeking after him are kind of sensing that right now. The first time that you heard that what you really need to do is surrender all your life to Christ. How did you respond? How many of you went, oh, great, and just laid yourself down before him? Anybody do that? Okay, no. How many of you went, and just put up your defenses and said, this freaks me out. Anybody? Okay, let me just tell you, all of you did. (laughs) All of you did. Because what human nature does is we say, man, this is my life, and I want to rule my life. I want to be in control of my life. And when all of a sudden you find out that God actually created us so that he could be in control of our life, so that we could worship him and not ourselves, man, there is something inside of us that just freaks out and we can have a heart like Herod's. Now, I just, as we look at this, you guys, um, we can't do what Herod did, right? Herod was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going, if you're going to destroy my life, little baby born, then I'm going to destroy you. Now, obviously, we can't do that when God disturbs our life. So what do we do? I, I think there can be a tendency, you guys, at this point, for some of us to say, you know what? Um, we, we, we will engage in intellectual battles to destroy all of God's teachings, all of his arguments, and we will sit there and we will literally try to destroy his reality. I don't know if you've ever gone through that. But literally, when God starts, when you start to hear things, if God wants this, what you will do is you will respond back and you say, I'm going to destroy that argument. And there are some people who, who literally will sit there and say, I am going to make sure that I can prove to you how you're not real because if you're not real, then I don't have to deal with you. Okay? Now, let me, let me, just, let me just switch here really quick. I am not saying that you should not engage in intellectual arguments about God. In fact, I'm saying that you should. In fact, some of you guys are Christians in here and you've actually never gone through this process of intellectually struggling with your faith to see if what you believe you really believe and whether it's worth following. And so it's, it's good to do this, but let me just share with you really quickly, there's a big difference between intellectually engaging with God to prove with a heart like Herod's that says, I am going to do everything I can to show you that you're not real versus engaging intellectually and asking every question that you possibly can to find out what's true. Can I just just ask you guys a question? Don't you want to know what's true? Seriously, we got one life down here. This is it. And when it's all over, 
I'm hoping that I have engaged enough in my heart and in my head and in my soul as a human being to have at least done everything I can to find out what's true. And see, there will be a big difference because God says, listen, man, if you're seeking after me, in other words, if you're seeking to find out what's true, you're going to find me. But if you engage like Herod, where you go after him and say, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to do everything I can to prove, I'm going to build up a, a force and a wall against you. You know what can happen? Your heart can get so hard towards God that you may never find him. See, because see, Herod, man, he was going after him. He sent everybody out to destroy him. Did he find Jesus? He didn't find him. And so just be careful. All I'm saying with this one, you guys, is when God starts to woo and you feel this thing go come or you're engaging in the spiritual world, we all, every single one of us, have to say, am I willing to make sure that I don't have a heart like Herod's that says, don't mess with my life? And I'm guaranteeing you, if you're human, you are going to struggle with this. I struggle with this even now, all the time, when God says, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to actually run that part of your life, I'll find my heart say, no, because I want to run my life. So be careful to not seek after God the way that Herod did to show that he's not worth following, all right? That's the first guy in the story. All right, let's run to the second one. And the second one is this. These are the non, what I'm going to call the non-seeking people of God. The non-seeking people of God. And here's what's wild. So let me read real quick, verse 4. It says, when, when, he, when Herod had called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. So he's saying, okay, man, this is kind of freaking me out. Let's get all the religious people together now, and let me ask you. And they say, well, in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they go ahead and they, they, they teach this prophecy. And you guys, you have to understand uh, something that was huge here. See, even Herod knew that the Jewish belief was there was this Messiah coming. There was this Savior, this King that was going to come. Now, if you were Jewish at that time, this was the next big thing. This was the hope of every Jewish person, is that the Messiah was going to come and to save them. And you guys, then here's what's wild, is here they are, right in, now Jerusalem is the center of the Jewish faith, and then five miles away, I've been over there, Bethlehem is only five miles away. Right next door to them, the Messiah is coming into the world, and they missed it. And they missed it. Now, can I ask you guys a question? You guys ever miss anything? <laughs> you ever just, just totally miss it? You know, one of the funniest things to me is I always, I mean, I almost always drive. Anybody else? Are you always the driver, you know, in your car? Have you ever uh, been on a route that you drive all the time and you've been the passenger? Have you ever had that experience? I mean, I'll be down on I-15 and going, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. I didn't have any idea that existed. I'll drive to my uh, Susie's mom's in Colorado. I always drive, and then I'll let Susie every once in a while. I get tired, and I look around, and I'm like, man, this is beautiful. I just, you know why? Because when I'm driving, I'm like, right? And, and I don't see it. I totally miss it, and it's been there the whole time. And see, what we find here with the Jewish religious people, man, is they knew the Messiah was coming, and yet somehow they had got up these blinders like this, and they just said, you know what? This is what I'm looking for. This is how I'm going to do it. And I, and I just want to tell you, when I read this, 
uh, three or four months ago, I think I realized, because I'll be honest, I, I read it and I'm just like, you know what? I don't really get why this story is in the Bible. Like, why is this so important to share that Magi came and all this kind of stuff? And hey, let me tell you, this is why I think it's in here. Because if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and they're the four stories of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew is the one that was written primarily, really, to help the Jewish people understand. There's more Old Testament passages so they could understand. There's more fulfillment of prophecy. And so I think what Matthew was literally doing was saying, you guys, I want to write to you and I want to help you to see something. Literally, the Messiah that we've been waiting for has shown up. He has shown up and we missed him. So here's where it hit me. And I thought about my own life and I think about you. I think about K2. And I just go, you know what? I don't want to be, because the, the, the Israelites were God's chosen people. And I just sat there and I said, you know what? I don't want to be a follower of Christ, a religious person who somehow missed him. And you guys, we can go to church every week. You can be in small groups. You can do a lot of religious stuff and you can still miss really seeing Jesus and experiencing him and knowing him personally, okay? So let me just, let me just share a few insights that I, I think are true. Well, actually, before I do that, throw up the verse, John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. It says, He was in the world, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, and I just, I sit there and I think, you know what? Now I feel like that's who, who I am. It's, it's who many of you are. We're now his people. And I, I believe that God still shows up. I believe he's still at work. I believe every time that we meet here on a Sunday morning, we have a chance to literally engage with God. And I know that I can still, and so can you, have the tendency to miss him. Let me just share with you a few things that were true about the religious leaders of that day that might help us. And this is what we got to do. Do I have a heart like this where I could actually miss God? Okay. The first one was this, is they thought that they were more important than everybody else. They thought they were right. They thought that they were the ones that really mattered and that nobody else mattered. And so you, can you imagine this? Hey, we're the religious leaders of the day and we're God's chosen people. And then all of a sudden, these pagan magicians from, <coughs> excuse me, pagan magicians from Babylon, where they were in exile, show up and say, hey, by the way, do you guys know where the king of the Jews was born? Can you, can you see how they might have been responding? They, I, I mean, you know they looked at them and said, excuse me, if anybody's going to know when the king of the Jews was born, it's going to be us. Right? See, because when you think that you're the ones who matter and you're the ones who are important, next thing you know is we've got all this stuff and then you... You, you can totally miss it. The way that Paul said it was, they sought to establish their own righteousness. Okay, now let me explain this because this is really important for us because all religious people, me included, can have a tendency to do this. What that means is when you try to establish your own righteousness is you try to prove that you are good enough for God. And you go on this pursuit to prove how holy you are and to prove how good you are. And the next thing you, that happens is you actually start to believe that you are. And you are so good and you are so right. And then you end up being better than everybody else. 
And I'm telling you, Jesus had the hardest time with this, you guys, because as soon as you're all about yourself and you believe you're the one who's right, your heart will never be open and soft to what God is doing around you. Okay? This is how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Because his biggest struggle was with the religious people of his day. He said, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. You guys, I just, when I read this, I just want, I feel like one of the things that I just want to say today to all of us is to make sure that we don't become religious people who stop seeking after God. See, because the other, here's the other thing that happened is they were looking for a different type of savior. See, the savior they wanted was the one who was going to set them free from Roman rule. I mean, they wanted the guy on the white horse to come in and say, man, we're going to set you free. And he actually, Jesus came and he said, yeah, actually, I'm here to set you free, but I'm here to set you free from yourself. See, I'm here to set you free from your sin. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. That's not, that's not what we signed up for. We want the big guy to, you know, get, just get rid of all the Romans. And he's like, no. And sometimes you guys right here in our midst, we can be looking for a wrong kind of savior. And we can look for the Savior who's just going to make my life better, who's going to make me happy, and who's going to do everything that I want. We want the kind of, let's just add Jesus into our life. Like, I really like my life, so don't disturb it. (laughs) But let me just kind of add you in, and you kind of do what I like, and this will be a great little partnership. And then all of a sudden you find out, he goes, no, I actually came to give you your life. But you got to give me yours. And again, just like those guys, they said, I'm not really interested in that. I'm not really interested in that. And here's the last thing I'll say about them, is they were incredibly busy with religion. And I know this can be my tendency, obviously, maybe because of what I do. But sometimes you can get so caught up in what you're doing. Here they are in Jerusalem, the center, doing all this religious activity. And literally five miles away, the center of their faith was born. And they missed him. And I I just want to encourage you guys, don't get caught up in being so busy with religious stuff that you miss the beauty of what it is to actually seek after Christ. There's a big difference. Make it personal, make it alive, and make it about him. Okay? So there's the non-seeking people who are religious. And here's the last people, and it's these crazy magicians. These seeking magi. Now, you know what? There's a lot we don't know, so I'm not going to you know, propose that I do know some things. But let me just say, let me say a few things that at least had to be true, okay, about these guys. First of all, they at least had to believe that a king was being born, right? I mean, they had to be, here they are, way over in Babylon, and somehow they're sitting over here saying, I think a king is going to be born. They had to believe that or they wouldn't embark on this journey. Here's the second thing they had to believe. They had to believe that somehow that wacky star was going to lead them to the king. I mean, they believed that. Here's the other thing they believed is when they got there, they were supposed to bring tons of gifts and give him gifts and they were supposed to bow down and supposed to worship him. Those are the things that they believed. Now here's the deal. Because they believed those things, they traveled 900 miles, you guys. This was a 900 mile trip. 
In, in Ezra, it talks about the Jews making this trip. It took them four months. Okay? Now think about this. Here's what's, here's what's real, you guys, is when you believe something, if you want to seek after God to the point where you actually find him and where you experience in him, what this means is this. Belief or faith always has action. See, when you, when you start to believe something, when you start to feel wooed, you actually have to take action. See, because the wise men could have been, hey, you know what? We've read the, the Hebrew scriptures and we believe that a king is going to be born. Yep, and hey, look at that. Look at that star. You know, I bet if we followed that star, we'd probably end up there. Yeah, I bet you're right. Yeah. Okay, well, what are you guys doing tonight? You know, they could have just, they could have known, they could have believed it with all their heart and said, you know, I think that's really true, but hey, I'm not really interested in that. See, and that right there is what most Christians are like. We believe certain things about him, but we actually never take the steps of faith to see it become reality. That's why almost every week when I get a chance to speak to you, I try to help you to see God will never become real and you won't experience him fully until what you say you believe, you actually take steps on. And when you take a step of faith, all of a sudden he can become incredibly real to you. See, those guys got to sit face to face with Jesus because they embarked on the journey. And I want to encourage you to really know him and to experience him and have him change your life like he wants to. You actually have to embark on the journey. Okay, let me just share a few things in, 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 to end with this, in the, um, about this, what, what, what we can know. Um, hold on just one second. What can we learn from these guys? The first one is this. And, and just bear with me on this one because this isn't, <laughs> but it was 900 miles. And I know, I just want to tell you, for some of you, you can know this. Your journey to Jesus can seem really, really long. <laughs> okay? For some of you, you feel like, man, I believe that. And you've gone on this faith journey and it seems like it's taken you forever. <laughs> and I just want to say, keep holding on. These guys saw it because they believed it and they kept pursuing after him. So keep going. Even if you feel like your spiritual journey is long. And that means for the rest of you, if you're, if you're sitting there and you're watching maybe somebody you love or are on a spiritual journey, man, have patience and love them and just chill and enjoy the journey. All right? The second thing is this, that we can learn from these things. That is that God loves the world. He loves everybody. I love the fact that this story is in the Bible for this reason. That God didn't use Jewish people, the first people to pronounce the birth of Christ were magicians from Babylon. God, I don't care. So what this means is this. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what nationality you're from. It doesn't matter where you've come from or what you, who you are. You matter to God and God loves you and he will draw you. If you will believe, he will draw you to himself so that you can meet him. And the last one is this. And that, uh, actually, I've already said, the faith always results in action, so take the steps. All right? So here's, here's a couple questions for you as we go. First one is this. What is your star? What is your star? And what do I mean by that? See, um, uh, the, the star, 
when you look at this, I can't go into the details of this, but it's really interesting. Do you guys ever think about what, what, what in the world do you mean they followed a star? Like some people say that what happened was, in fact, there's an there's a um, actual historical proof that in 7 BC, three planets lined up. And it could have caused this incredible bright thing that they would have followed. Some people, other people say, actually, maybe it was something supernatural where God caused something bright to, to shine in the, in the light to, so these guys would follow him. Now, other people have said, you know what? I, and I, actually, I've never heard this one until I studied it this week. Some people believe, you know what? No way, man. That star was too wacky. I mean, have you ever thought about that? The star actually led them all the way there. And then once they got there, it went right over the house. Have you guys ever tried to find a star that's right over? Yep, that's my house right there. I mean, that doesn't work that way. And so what these guys have said, some people have said, because angels were all over the place in the birth of Christ, some people say that maybe it could have been an angelic being that was leading them along the way. Now, you guys go figure that out. I don't know what it was. And I don't know what your star is, but I do know this. God has put something in your life to draw you to Jesus. It may be a person. Maybe he's brought a friendship into your life. And that person, you just, by their life and their example or the conversations you're having, you're finding yourself drawn to Jesus. It might be something that's just happening internally within you. And you're finding this, this, this woo to be on a spiritual journey. You know, it might be a movie. It's really weird. Like, I, I tell you, I can hardly watch a movie anymore, but I'm like, man... I feel like God just speaks to me. He just, he'll use anything. I don't know. He'll use natural things. He'll use circumstances. He'll use supernatural stuff. But I would dare, dare to say that most all of us in this room right now, in some way are being drawn to Jesus. What is it? What's he using? What is your star? And here's the second question. Are you following it? Are you following it? Go for it. What do you got to lose? Keep going, and that would be it. Are you still seeking him? Are you still seeking after? Are you persevering on your journey to come to really know Christ? See, because it never ends, that journey to know him. I'm getting to know him more and more and more. And so that's it right there, you guys. What's your star? Are you following it? Are you seeking after him? And are you persevering to the point where you get to the end? Or do you have a heart like Herod that says, wait a second, I don't want to seek after that. I don't want to be disturbed. Or are you like a religious person who says, I'm so busy and I don't even need God that we totally miss him when he shows up? Or are you like magi who say, you know what? I believe there's something there. I believe it's worth it. And I'm going to go on the journey to find it. Again, he says, if you seek after me, you'll find me. So band, come on out and we're going to sing one last song and let me just pray for you as I come out. Father, I'm just, I'm just really grateful because I know that when you look at our hearts and we get, um, we get freaked out or defensive, um, put up a wall when we don't want our life disturbed by you. I, I'm just, so I just want to say I'm really grateful that you're patient with us and that you're gracious towards us and that you keep pursuing us. And so, Lord, first thing I want to pray for is I just want to pray for everybody right now who might just be freaking out a little bit and whose heart might be more like Herod saying, you know what, Um, I don't want to be disturbed. 
And God, if we are pursuing that part of our journey right now, I just pray that you give us the grace to pursue what's true, to have an open heart to receive what's true. God, for everyone, your children here who's just really busy with religious stuff or maybe has somehow uh, got caught up into thinking that they, I don't know, they just, they feel so good about themselves that, that we're totally missing you in our midst. Um, please help us to get off the religious stuff and get back into the relationship of really knowing you. And Lord, we just thank you too that you are ultimately the seeker. You're the one who came to us. You're the one who came to us through Christ and you come to us every day. And I just want to thank, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for loving us first. And Lord, so give us the courage to follow you, to seek after you and to experience you in great ways. And we pray for it in Jesus' name, amen. If you go ahead and stand, um, this guy's gonna lead us in a really, really cool song. It's one of my favorite ones. And it said, simply says, give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one and secret ambition to know and follow hard after you. So this right here, you guys, is just a chance right here to say, you know what? I'm going to seek after God with everything I've got. So Patrick, lead us on.